0: Hello there! Welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G Two. I am G Two. I am here to bring you Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW, Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. And before today's episode is done with, as usual during the month of February, I will be giving you the spotlight of wrestlers that are African-American, that have made an impact in the professional wrestling business, as well as for today's episode, I will be giving you my Elimination Chamber uh, predictions because Elimination Chamber is tonight. Now, without further ado, let's start off with the show. Monday Night Raw. Raw will open up with Becky Lynch and Anna Pierce being in the middle of the ring. Becky will first congratulate herself on winning her steel cage match against Bailey last week and also thanks Lita for the help. Becky would talk about how she has lost focus in these past couple months because she's been dealing with damage control, and now she wants to focus on WrestleMania because WrestleMania is fastly approaching, and right now she sees she has no way of making it there except for one wing. She would talk to Pierce about putting herself into the Elimination Chamber, but not by a, well, just giving her a position. No, she's willing to fight her way into the chamber. This would lead to Bailey coming out, and Bailey would tell Adam that she... ...wants to be in the Elimination Chamber and that Becky shouldn't be inside of it because that match last week shouldn't actually be into the record books. That should be scratched from the record books and that Becky doesn't deserve to be in the chamber. She does. This will lead to both women throwing shots at one another until the Raw Women's Champion Bianca Belair will come out and she would go to the ring. Bianca will say that she wants to face the best at WrestleMania... And she likes how they want to fight their way into the chamber. And this will make Adam have a plan for the main event of Monday Night Raw. For it to be a triple threat match between Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch, and Bailey. And if Becky or Bailey happen to win the match tonight, that person who won the match will be added into the elimination chamber. And it'll be a seven-person elimination chamber. Except for the fact that if Bianca Belair wins the match, Neither of them will be added into the chamber, so that match ends up becoming official, and that will be the main event on Monday Night Raw. Now, for the first match of Monday Night Raw, it will be the tag team match. Street Profits going against Judgment Day's Finn Balor and Damian Priest with Dominic Mysterio in their corner. Finn and Damian would win the match by pinfall, with Finn hitting Angelo Dawkins with the coup de grace for the win. After the match, Montez Ford would come in the ring and check on Angelo Dawkins. This will lead to Damian Priest attacking Montez Ford. Damian, Finn, and Dom would beat up on Montez Ford, who's now in the bottom corner of the turnbuckle, until Edge music would hit, and both Edge and Beth Phoenix would run down to the ring. Now you see Edge dealing with Finn Balor, Damian Priest dealing with Montez Ford, and Dominic Mysterio dealing with Angelo Dawkins. Everybody's out of the ring brawling, Except for Dominic and Dawkins, Dominic would get Dawkins out of the ring, and when Dominic turned around, Beth Phoenix would be there to clothesline Dominic. Now with Dominic on the mat, Beth would grab Dominic and look to hit him with a glam slam, but Rhea Ripley would run from the crowd into the ring and attack Beth Phoenix from behind, then hit her with the Riptide, and then you see Judgment Day leave the ring and start walking up the ramp as this gives Rhea Ripley and Finn Balor some momentum going into their mixed tag team match against Edge and Beth Phoenix at the Elimination Chamber. Now, after this, we get the contract signing between Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley. You have Brock Lesnar and Adam Pearce in the ring with the table set up, and Brock will call out Bobby so he can come out there to sign the contract because Brock already has signed it. Bobby's music would hit, and you would see 10 security guards walk out, You will see a guy bring out a black table onto the entrance stage and follow that up with a chair. Then you will see Bobby Lashley walk out. Bobby will walk and sit at that chair at the entrance stage with the table. And Bobby will tell Brock that they aren't going to do this on Brock's time. They're going to do this on Bobby's time. Bobby will mention that he has sent this contract to a laundry list of people and had them look over that contract and Bobby just doesn't know if he's willing to sign that contract. Now, Brock was starting to get agitated with Bobby, whole mind game and foolishness. Brock would start getting impatient with Bobby and tell him that he's going to kick Bobby's butt. If he doesn't sign that contract, Bobby will say that Brock has no balls. So you will see Brock grab the contract away from Adam Pearce, leave the ring. He'll beat up six security guards before charging towards Bobby. Now, with Brock running towards Bobby, Bobby was able to flip Brock over and Brock's back would hit the ground. And this would allow Bobby to wait for Brock to get up and then hit him with the spear. Now that Brock's on the ground, Bobby would grab the contract, sign it, and then slam it onto Brock's chest. So the match becomes official. Brock Lesnar going against Bobby Lashley at the Elimination Chamber. Now, after this, we will have Piper Nivens going against Me Chin, or better known as Mi Yim. And Piper Nivens would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Loch Ness Slam, or better known to me personally as the Black Hole Slam, on Mia Yim for the win. Now, out of this, we were supposed to have a backstage interview with Baron Corbin, talking about JBL uh, getting at him last week and leaving him. But Baron Corbin would be interrupted. Baron Corbin would be interrupted by Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn would be in the middle of the ring. And he will call out Cody Rhodes for what Cody said last week on Monday Night Raw. And Cody will come out and Sammy will ask Cody straight up. Does he believe that he could beat Roman Reigns at the Elimination Chamber? Or was that all just lip service? Or does he actually mean it? Cody would tell Sammy that he believes that Sammy can take the championships away from Roman. But ask Sammy, does he believe he can? Sammy would say at this moment, he doesn't know if he can do it. Because he knows how Roman Reigns and the Bloodline operates. He's been in the trenches with Roman for the last nine months. He knows how they master and come up with a game plan. And how every person that's bigger than Sammy, stronger than Sammy, has came up against Roman. And they have all the confidence in the world. But they somehow have always came to the bottom of Roman. They always get defeated by Roman. And that Roman truly is in God mode is not just a slogan. He really is better than everyone right now so Roman is living rent-free in Sami Zayn's head as Sami's coming up to this biggest match of his whole entire career here so Cody hearing all this he will have to hype up Sami Zayn up and here's the audio of Cody hyping up Sami for the biggest match of his career you don't know that's
1: what you're saying to me you don't know it seems like everybody here knows It seems like your hometown of Montreal, where they watched you as an upstart wrestler and they're gonna be chanting your name, it seems like they know. I haven't been where you've been. I haven't watched Roman Reigns up close, but I have watched him from the sidelines. I've watched him from when he became champion to now. And you're right, everybody has fallen. But here's the other thing. There's dissension in the bloodline for the first time ever in his bloodline and that's. Because of you. There's cracks in the armor, holes in the scales, and that's because of you. The idea that the greatest champion of our generation could possibly be dethroned, becoming a reality, is because of you. This awesome moment in time that we're all here for is because of you. You wanna say that Roman Reigns is God mode? We'll put it on a T-shirt, print it. It looks real good there. But Roman Reigns is a man, Sammy. You crack him open at the Elimination Chamber, and you find out for yourself. I won the 2023 Royal Rumble. I punched my ticket. Michael Cole said it on commentary. He said, "Finish the story. Finish the story. Finish the story." I intend to finish my story. You need to finish yours. But just one more thing, Sammy. I don't want to see you on Raw next Monday. Because I'd rather see you at Wrestlemania.
0: Now, before I get back to review here, guys, I just want to make one thing note here. Um, Cody is an excellent motivational speaker. I mean, just flat out excellent. He made Sami Zayn feel at the top of his game with this lecture and this straight up just hype up moment that you just hear Cody gives to Sami. And me personally, it makes me want to see Sami beat Roman Reigns so we can see a Cody versus Sami match at WrestleMania. Now, do I think it was going to happen? I don't know. We still have to watch tonight at the Elimination Chamber, but it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen. But again, just to highlight that, Cody, excellent. And I mean, absolute excellent motivational speaker. Now, after this, we go backstage, Baron Corbin is standing there. He finally gets to do his interview and he's upset that they cut him off so they could focus on Sami Zayn and Baron says the same. He's going to lose to Roman at the chamber. Baron will say that he is getting tired of everyone disrespecting him. And Baron will talk about how Cody is spoiled because he got to sit home nursing his injury for eight months, and how he was given the number thirty spot in the Royal Rumble. Baron will say that he can't stand Cody, his brother and his father. And without Baron knowing this. Cody would be right behind Baron as Baron says all this. And once Baron mentions Cody's dad, this will make Cody snap off and start beating up on Baron Corbin to the point that Cody and Corbin start fighting from the backstage into the actual entrance stage. Cody would call for a referee and we would get a match between Cody Rhodes and Baron Corbin. Now, Cody would win the match by pinfall by hitting the crossroads for the win. And everybody knew Cody was going to win this. If I'm going to be honest with you, I think they're just giving Cody some layup wins right now to try to get him back into the rhythm of wrestling full time. Because again, it is true. He's been out for eight months nursing a injury. So I don't think that WWE wants to put their whole uh, main event at WrestleMania in potential injury or potential risk because Cody might be injured or get another injury on the way to WrestleMania. So for them to do this with Cody, I like the way that you're doing this. They're protecting the money. So... Just by giving Cody these little one-up wins here, I think that's a smart business move here. Now, after this, we get a six-woman tag match of Raquel Rodriguez, Liv Morgan, and Natalya going against Asuka, Nikki Cross, and Carmella. Asuka will get the win for her team by submission by making Liv tap out in a double armbar lock. So this gives Asuka some momentum going into the women's elimination chamber. After this, we get Bronson Reed going against Mustafa Ali. Bronson would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Tsunami on Ali for the win. Good match here. Bronson's going to win it because, again, he's going into the Elimination Chamber. He's one of the male competitors for the chamber. So I didn't expect Ali to win this match with Bronson here. But still, a good match. I mean, a good fighting effort for Ali here. But Bronson was destined to win this. Now, after this, we would get Miss TV with special guest Seth Rollins. Who comes out in those big red mischief boots that has been like taking over social media? What last week, the boots that I said, it looks like straight up Apple ear pods. If you turn them upside down, but my brother calls them the Pac-Man boots. But Seth will be out here in those and Miz will hit Seth with a, what are those? And I, I'm sorry. I like those corny, stupid jokes. And that one popped me huge. But getting the brass tacks here, uh, Miz would try to get Seth to talk about Logan Paul because Seth was on a media tour, he was at Super Bowl, he was on the Pat McAvee's uh, podcast talking about Logan Paul, and apparently he was on other shows talking about Logan Paul, but he would not mention Logan Paul's name here at WWE. So Miz would ask Seth, why is that? Seth at first wouldn't give in to the bait, but Miz being good at his job, he would continue to poke and prod at Seth to the point that Seth would crack and explain why he doesn't talk about Logan Paul here. Seth would point at the WrestleMania sign and he would say that all he ever wanted to do since he was a kid was to main event WrestleMania. But that got taken away from him thanks to Logan Paul. Seth mentions that he loves this business and he says that Logan Paul only cares about lining up his pockets and that he doesn't give a crap about this. Miz would tell Seth that he sounds jealous. Seth will tell Miz that he knows he's stupid, but he can't be that stupid. Now, the fans are chanting at the Miz that he is stupid, and the Miz would take offense to this and say that he isn't stupid, and that he would get in Seth's face and tell him that we are the only two Grand Slam champions in this company, but one of us has main event at WrestleMania, and Miz would would poke at Seth for saying, yes, I'm the only person that's main-evented WrestleMania between me and you, and you might not ever get to main-event WrestleMania, and that comment would make Seth punch Miz right in the face. Now you have Seth hitting uh, Miz with one of the guest chairs from the Miz TV set, and Seth would look to hit Miz with the curb stomp, but Austin Theory, who would appear from nowhere, would pull Seth out of the ring, and you would see those two brawling for a minute, but Seth would get the upper hand by bouncing... uh, Theory's head off the announce table and then forearmed him in the back of the head. Now, Theory's on the ground. Seth will look to hit the stomp on Theory, but Miz will baseball slide uh, kick Seth in the head. Then you will see Miz beat up on Seth some more before throwing him back into the ring. Miz will look to hit the skull crusher finale, but Seth would reverse out of it and super kick Miz. Now, Seth would finally be able to hit Miz with the curb stomp. Now, Theory will get in the ring, grab Seth, hit him with A town down and then Theory would hold up the United States Championship over Seth's body and say that Seth's the old news while we are living in the new era, the Austin Theory, well, era, this is his time now, so Theory is proclaiming that Seth's old while he is the new guy and that Seth should just basically get over it. Now, after this, this wouldn't be the end of The Miz's night because after this altercation, we would get Rick Boogs going against The Miz. And Rick Boogs would win the match by pinfall by hitting a Gorilla Press forward slam for the win. Now we're off to our main event, the Triple Threat Match, where if Becky Lynch or Bayley win the match here, they will be added into the Elimination Chamber. But if Bianca Belair wins, they will not. Now, this match happens. We have interference from damage control. We will get the women that are part of the Women's Elimination Chamber coming out. Towards the end of the match, and ultimately in the end, it will be Bianca Belair who would pick up the win by pinfall when Becky Lynch would hit Bailey with the manhandle slam, and then Bianca Belair will grab Becky and hit her with the K O D on top of Bailey, and you will see Bianca pin Bailey to win the match up here. So Bianca would win the match and Becky and Bailey. Are not included into the women's elimination chamber match. So, somehow, some way, both of these ladies have to find their way to go to have a match somehow, some way at WrestleMania. How that's going to happen, I don't know, but for right now, they got to make their way. So, with that being said, that is your Raw Wrestling Highlights of the Week. Now, off to NXT. NXT will open up with a rest in peace graphic to Jerry Jarrett, who died at the age of 80. Jerry Jarrett is the father of Jeff Jarrett. Um, Jerry Jarrett was a promoter back in the seventies, eighties. Um, he helped like WWE from time to time during WWE's uh, stint with Vince McMahon going against the government during the steroids trial. But other than that, he's also most notably known for at least from my era, he's known for uh, helping start up. TNA wrestling with his son Jeff Jarrett so that's the only thing I do know him for if you want to know more about Jerry Jarrett I probably want you to listen to Jim Cornette's podcast I'm pretty sure he's going to talk about Jerry Jarrett on that in his memories of him but uh, you can just look at more stuff about him on YouTube if you want to know more about Jerry Jarrett but they will open up an NXT with that and the first match of the night will be Grayson Waller going against Tyler Bates. Tyler Bate would win the match by pinfall when Waller had Bate in a pinning situation and he held on to the ropes. And as the referee counted two and he almost got to three, the ref would see Waller's hands on the ropes and he would stop the count. And this will allow Bate to reverse the pin into his own. And the referee would count to three for the win for Tyler Bate. Now, after the match, Grayson Waller would argue with the referee to the back and Grayson Waller would be then arguing with Shawn Michaels. Now, Grayson Waller has been having this little beef with Shawn Michaels ever since the aftermath show of Vengeance Day, where you saw Waller just basically just arguing with Shawn, and this is going to lead to basically Grayson Waller just either going against one of Shawn's boys, or Shawn just going to have to get somebody from the main roster to take out Grayson Waller, because it's funny and it's poetic to me, because anybody that knows the backstage history of Shawn Michaels at least in the 90s Shawn Michaels was basically Grayson Waller here or shall I say Grayson Waller is Shawn Michaels here he was the guy that was roughing up backstage officials he was the guy that was causing problems backstage he was the guy that was causing problems for Vince man and WWE company back in the 90s so Grayson Waller just basically giving Shawn a little bit of his own medicine here and Shawn having to play the suit or be the boss in this situation is real real uh poetic to me and anybody that's know of the history of Shawn Michaels here. So Grayson Waller doing that to Shawn is uh, very fitting. Um, After this, we would see J.C. Jane go to the ring and explain herself turning on Gigi Dolan last week. J.C. would say that last week was the end of toxic attraction story, but the beginning of her story, because now it's all about her. J.C. would say that she wished she pulled the trigger early on turning on Gigi because Gigi was always never carrying her weight. She will always be playing the victim, but J.C. was the real victim because, as I said before, Gigi was coasting off of her and doing little of the work while J.C. carried the load. Now, Gigi has to do things on her own, and J.C. will leave everyone with this final message. J.C. will recall when toxic attraction first started and how everyone thought J.C. was the third wheel of this group and how she just didn't belong. JC would say how Toxic Attraction ended up overcoming the odds of becoming the greatest woman faction in NXT history, and she would finish by saying, look where everyone ended and look who's standing tall now. So JC is basically saying that she was the cream and she rose to the top. So JC is basically reveling in the fact that she stood on top of every one of her members of Toxic Attraction here in this moment. Now, we would go backstage later in the night and Indy Hartwell would mention that she is happy that Toxic Attractions' whole empire did fall to the ground, and she doesn't uh, feel any remorse for Gigi getting kicked in the face and betrayed by J.C. last week. But she does have a problem with J.C. thinking that she's going to be like going up to the top because of this situation. And Indy will say that the only thing that J.C. is going to end up is right behind her in line for that NXT Women's Championship. So next week, we're going to have Indy Hartwell going against J.C. Jane. Now, after this, we have Tiffany Stratton going against Thea Hale with Andre Chase and Dukas in her corner. Tiffany Stratton would win the match by pinfall by hitting the best moonsault ever on Thea Hale to win the match. There was a moment in the match where Thea Hale would see Ava Rain in the crowd, and Thea Hale would just freeze, and this would allow Tiffany Stratton to hit Thea Hale Behind the head and then send her into the ring to hit the steamroller, which is basically a rolling Samoan drop into the Best Moon Salt ever. So Thea Hale, I can see where they're going with this. Maybe I can see Schism with Ava Rain going against uh, Thea Hale, Duke Hudson, and Andre Chase, and that could probably be Ava Rain's first match on NXT, so she can have that under her belt, so we can see what Ava Rain has. In the ring. However, if that is not the plan, I have no idea what they're planning on doing with Chase U and Schism. I just don't know what it is if it's not going to have Ava Rain getting in the ring with Thea Hale. Now, after this, we will get to Damon Kemp going against Axiom. Axiom would win the match by pinfall by hitting Golden Ratio for the win. No harm, no foul in this matchup here. Now, after this, we get Braun Breaker, the NXT World Champion, coming down to the ring. Braun will talk about his next upcoming match with a certain him, and he's talking about Carmelo Hayes. And just like last week when Melo was interrupted by JD McDonough, Braun Breaker here would be interrupted by Jinder Mahal in Indashir. year. Jinder will congratulate on Braun carrying the NXT brand for the last year and for being NXT champion for almost that whole entire year and all the problems that being a champion comes with. Gender will mention to Braun how there's a certain small majority of the fans that are starting to turn the tide on him. From once loving him to now hating him, basically the John Cena effect. Braun would give the usual good guy shtick and say that the fans had, can't have their opinion, which will lead to Jinder Mahal basically telling Braun, that's the reason why I'm here. And he would challenge Braun Breaker to a match next week for the NXT Championship, and Braun would accept it. So we have that match made official. Now, after this, it was time for the North American Championship matchup here. It's Wesley's Open Invitational. Now, at first, you will see Tony, D'Angelo, and Stax. They will make their way down to the ring to answer this challenge, but Dijag will grab Tony from behind and lock him in a submission hold. Stax would run back to help Tony, and then you will see officials and referees come out to break it up. Now, Wesley would already be in the ring, and he will be watching this mayhem occur, and then he would sense something behind him, and once he turned around, he ate a big boot to the face from Von Wagner. So, Von Wagner was the one to answer the open challenge, and we would get that match started between Wesley and Von Wagner for the NXT North America Championship here. Wes would win the match by pinfall, and he would retain the North America Championship by hitting the cardiac kick, which is a backflip, pele kick for the win. Now, later in the night, you will see Von Wagner with Mr. Stone in the locker room. Von Wagner would throw a hissy fit, he'll flip a bench over, he'll throw things at the lockers, and he's just basically upset because he could have won the North American Championship here, while Mr. Stone will be watching Von Wagner sitting there in the corner and just watching Von Wagner just throw this hissy fit. Von will look over at Mr. Stone and ask him, you don't have nothing to say? Mr. Stone will tell Von, listen, I have a lot of things to say, and I know you can win the championship. It's not because you don't have the ability, you have everything in the world. But you have your walls up and nobody knows who Von Wagner truly is. You need to let everybody know who you are. You need to let me know who you are. You need to let me help you. You need to show me who you truly are. So right now we're trying to find out who the real Von Wagner is. Besides this big, moody, broody guy who's just trying to win matches here. So we're trying to get a character out of Von Wagner here. Will this be successful? I don't know, but... Time will tell with Vaughn Wagner and Mr. Stone and what they're trying to do with Vaughn here. Now, after this, we'll have Hank Walker with Drew Gulak in his corner going against Charlie Dempsey. Charlie Dempsey would win the match by submission by locking in a modified version of the STF, and Hank Walker would tap out. After the match, Charlie will look at Drew Gulak, and Drew will look at Charlie, and these guys would just stare at each other before Charlie will lock in the STF back on Hank Walker again, Now you see referees get in there trying to pull uh, Charlie off of Hank. Drew will look like he's going to help Hank, but he doesn't. He just looks at Charlie holding in the submission. When Charlie finally lets go of the hold, Drew Gulak will get on the ring apron, and again, you will see Drew and Charlie just stare at one another, and you would think they're finally going to come to blows after weeks and months of them just teeter-tottering on the fact of they might have a match with each other, but that doesn't happen. Instead, They both would jump off the ring apron and you would see them walk to the back side by side with each other. So now we have an alliance of Drew Gulak and Charlie Dempsey. And to me, this smells of Drew Gulak's whole catch point initiative or for people that were watching NXT during the uh, COVID era. This is basically uh, Timothy Thatcher's whole uh, Thatcher situation. Thatcherism the old school style of wrestling with nothing but holds and submission. This was what I feel that this group of um, Charlie Dempsey and Drew Gulak is going to consist of. And with Hank Walker now just being excommunicated of that whole situation with Drew Gulak, I can see Hank trying to get back at Drew Gulak because Hank was a student of Drew. But now since Drew turned his back on him, I can see Hank, going after Drew because of that exact reason but again we have to wait until next week to see where the story will continue now after this we will have a backstage interview with Ilya Dragunov and he would talk about coming back last week after being on the shelf for four months thanks to JD McDonough but that would be interrupted by Trick Williams who would be in the ring calling out Ilya because last week when Ilya made his way back to NXT Ilya would torpedo headbutt Trick Williams down to the ring to try to get to J.D. McDonough. So when Ilya comes down to the ring, Ilya would tell Trick that he was basically just a casualty of war last week. Trick would take exception to this and pop Ilya in the mouth, but Ilya would quickly respond with an kicked kick to the head, knocking Trick Williams out of the ring. This would lead to J.D. McDonough coming out to the ring. J.D. here will be sporting a eye patch, or a white bandage over his right eye, because the commentators will let everybody know that last week, Ilya popped uh, JD in the eye, which tore his retina in his eye. So now JD is trying to uh, basically recover from that tore retina here. And JD would say that on the microphone to Ilya, and he's told Ilya that he should have just stayed home, and now he's going to injure Ilya so bad that it's going to make sure that Ilya can't hold his son. So Ilya will yell at JD to come down to the ring, and he wouldn't realize that Trick Williams had re-entered the ring and Trick would attack Ilya from behind. Trick will stomp Ilya out, then kick him in the gut, then leave the ring. JD was going to pick up the scraps of Ilya, but once he got on the ring apron and saw Ilya start getting up and still wanting to fight, JD would just retreat and go to the back. Now, it will be announced that next week, Trick Williams will be going against Ilya Dragunov, and we will get a Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes backstage situation, and Carmelo's trying to warn Trick of who he's basically upset of the reputation of Ilya, but Trick isn't trying to hear none of that. Trick is still full of gusto and machismo, and he says that he will handle Ilya next week, so we'll have to wait and see what Trick will do with Ilya Dragunov next week. Now, it's time for the main event, tag matchup here. The NXT Women's Champion Roxanne Perez and Maiko Satamora going against the former NXT Women's Tag Team Champions Kaden Carter and Katana Chance. Roxanne and Maiko would win the match by pinfall when Roxanne would hit Kaden with pop rocks for the win. And after the match, Maiko will get a mic and tell Roxanne that since Maiko did something for Roxanne, Roxanne can do something for Maiko, and Maiko would point at the NXT Women's Championship, and Roxanne would tell Maiko that it would be her honor. So we're going to get an NXT Women's Championship matchup between Roxanne and Michael Satamora. I'm not sure if it's going to happen next week. It was not announced on NXT. So we'll probably have to wait until next week to see if that match actually does happen or it will happen in two more weeks. But on the call sheet, you should know that Michael is going to be going against Roxanne somewhere down the line because both of the both of these ladies want to have that match. So that's how NXT will end. And that is your NXT wrestling highlights of the week. Now we're off to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite will open up the same way the NXT did. They will pay tribute to Jeff Jarrett's father, Jerry Jarrett. And speaking of Jeff Jarrett, Jeff Jarrett will be in the opening matchup for Dynamite. It will be an eight-man tag match. The acclaimed Billy Gunn and the Men Atlantic or All-Atlantic champion Orange Cassidy going against Jay Lethal, Jeff Jarrett, Satnam Singh, and Sanjay Dutt. The acclaimed would win the match for their team by pinfall, by hitting Shiver Me Timbers onto Sanjay Dutt, and for people that don't know what that is, if you remember the Dugly Boys, whenever they used to do the WhatsApp, they will hold up uh, one of their opponent's legs wide open, while Devon would hit a diving headbutt into their genital regions. This time, it just gets remixed. Max Kasher will hold the legs of Sanjay Dutt, and Anthony Bones will get on the second turnbuckle, jump off, and hit a leg drop onto Sanjay Dutt's nuts, and that's how Shiver Me Timbers came to exist. And they will use that move to beat Sanji Dutt to win this matchup here. Now, after the match, later in the night, it will be confirmed that at Revolution, there will be a fatal four-way matchup for the AEW Tag Team Championships. The Gun Club will be defending their championships against two mystery teams and the Acclaimed because the Acclaimed have cashed in their championship rematch clause. So that's where they'll be getting their rematch at Revolution. And the other two teams... Will be determined in the following weeks. Now, after this, we have the Texas Tornado Tag match of the Ring of Honor World Champion Claudio Castagnoli and John Moxley going against Preston Vance and Roosh. Mox and Claudio would win the match by submission when Mox will put a chain around the neck of Preston Vance, then lock in an arm bar, making Preston tap out. For me, I feel that this match was Preston Vance's like come out party to the world. Because when he was in the Dark Order, he would have to play the third, fourth, fifth fiddle behind an Evil Uno, uh, John Silver, Alex Reynolds, uh, Hangman Page, uh, um, Evil Uno. I mean, he would just have to be playing fiddle at the fiddle behind these members of the Dark Order. And you just didn't know whenever it was going to be President Vance's time. Now since he's out from under the umbrella of the Dark Order and he's with Roosh and whenever Andrade El Idolo ever comes back and those three guys will become like a... Faction, a traditional three-man group here, I believe that Preston Vance will be one of the guys that AEW's going to try to put the future behind as one of those bad guy villains since he's with Rouge, And personally, I like him and Roosh here. They're just some ruthless, nasty, brawler-type guys here. And in this match, he was actually able to make John Moxley bleed some. Moxley was able to make Preston Vance bleed some. There's some history between those two on commentary. Um, they would mention how John Moxley and Vance have met twice before in... Uh, matches and each time Moxley would get the win but the first time they met was in 2020 and Moxley's preparation to go against uh, Brody Lee and Mox broke Preston Vance's arm so there has some uh, vengeance and repercussions years later in this match when uh, Preston makes Moxley bleed so I like that they bring the backstory of those two into this match up here And again, it just further proves that they have some future with Preston Vance with the way that Preston Vance had a whole lot of spotlight on him in this matchup here. So Preston Vance is another one of those guys that you can look forward to in AEW's future as one of their young guys that they're trying to prop up. Now, after this, we have Josh Woods with Tony Nese and Mark Sterling in his corner going against Mark Briscoe. Mark Briscoe would win the match by pinfall by hitting a rolling Death Valley driver, then the froggy bow for the win. I'm happy to see Mark Briscoe back on AEW Dynamite here. Um, It's always going to be a smiling occasion when you see Mark Briscoe, since you know the unfortunate uh, circumstances of the reason why he's on television, but nevertheless, thank God he's on TV. And Josh Woods here, he's another one of these guys. He had a good match with Mark Briscoe here. They have some history from their time in Ring of Honor here, and they were actually able to put on a good, solid match between uh, the two because, again, they have history. And Josh Woods, he was actually able to show everybody that you should pay some attention to Josh Woods. And he should be getting a spotlight on him. Again, AEW has a long roster with nothing but talented individuals that don't get to shine on TV much. And whenever you do get to see them shine, you're going to wonder, why aren't they pushed so much? You got to remember, they have a big roster. So it's going to be hard to focus uh, a lot of spotlight on certain individuals. But when they get it, they make the most out of it. And I believe Josh Woods in this match with Mark Briscoe, he put on a show and allowed everybody to see that, hey, Josh Woods is another one of these guys that so you should put um, some effort into in the future to make him a star. So, Josh Woods against Mark, this was a star making performance, in my personal opinion, for Josh Woods here. But Mark Briscoe will get the win. Now, after this, we get the AEW World Champion MGF coming down to the ring. MGF will talk about Brian Danielson. He will talk about how the fans might chant for Brian. But he and Brian both know that the fans are fickle because MJF will remind everybody that he had them chanting for him months ago and that they were his devil worshipers. So, again, this is still going on to the whole fickle fan stuff. MJF will talk about the real reason why he hates Brian, and it's because Brian has the fans thinking that he is better than MJF. MJF would then talk about the reasons why people love Brian. And call him the best in the world is because he's more entertaining and he puts on five-star bangers. But MJF will let the fans know that this isn't the reason why the wrestlers get into this business. It's because they want to be world champion. And being world champion means that you're the best in the world. And since MJF has the championship, he is the best in the world. And at Revolution, Brian's going to use every move that he has learned from traveling around the world. But that won't help him win. At Revolution because MGF is better than Brian Danielson. MGF would bring out someone that Brian knows and that's going to tell the truth about Brian Danielson, and it's Christopher Daniels. Christopher Daniels would let the fans know that MGF paid him off to speak ill of Brian, but Christopher would throw the money back into MGF's face and say, at one point I would have did that and came out here and lamb-based Brian for hours. But at this time of his career, he doesn't need to do that. Christopher will let MGF know that Brian is one of the guys that helped bring real wrestling to the fan base back in the early 2000s that was starving for it because there was only one game in town, which lead into the creation of Ring of Honor. And without Brian Danielson, there might not have been a Ring of Honor. There would not be an AEW, and there certainly would not be an MJF. MJF would then walk up to Christopher Daniels, smack the mic out of his hands, and get in the face of Christopher. Both men would exchange words, and Christopher would smack the taste out of MGF. MGF would hold his mouth, and then Christopher would walk up on MGF, but MGF would quickly kick Christopher right dead in the balls, and then lock in the salt-and-the-earth armbar on Christopher Daniels until Brian Daniels would run down to the ring to make the save, and MGF would leave the ring and walk up the ramp. And again, this is building up to their one-hour iron match at AEW Revolution. We all know what's gonna happen. MGF is somehow gonna squeak a win and get over Brian Danielson one way or another. And I did like how they throw in the whole best in the world uh comment in here. MGF did it because again, there's always been that comparison of Brian Danielson and CM Punk with the whole best in the world thing, and especially because uh people have been speculating and spectating of when CM Punk's coming back to AEW because there's never ever been no official uh, statement of Tony Khan releasing CM Punk or CM Punk saying that he wants out of AEW. So everybody's knowledge is that CM Punk is still under contract with AEW. And when CM Punk was coming to AEW, they were always thought these breadcrumbs are saying best in the world, this or something of the nature of, has something to do with CM Punk, just these little, breadcrumbs on AEW television and with MGF saying best in the world people are going to start clamoring okay when's CM Punk coming back so maybe we might get a CM Punk situation or face down with MJF after this pay-per-view with Brian. maybe it will maybe it won't we'll have to wait and see as the weeks of AEW television will continue to go on but this is just one sprinkle of breadcrumbs of MGF mentioning best in the world and I think people need to really look into if CM Punk is going to either A, help out MJF, or either B, have a face-off with MJF after Revolution uh is going off at the pay-per-view. But again, we got weeks to build up to Revolution, and we'll see if that's going to happen. Now, after this, we'll have Jungle Boy Jack Perry going against Brian Cage with Prince Nana in his corner. Jungle Boy would win the match by pinfall by hitting a sliding forearm behind Brian Cage's head, then rolling him up for the win. Now, after the match, Jungle Boy would walk up the ramp, and he would stand up there with his arms in the air, still uh, feeling the effects of the wind, and Christian Cage music would hit, and Christian will walk out on the stage with his arm fully in a sling. Jungle Boy would walk up to Christian, and Christian would mace Jungle Boy. Christian would then take his arm out of the sling, and then hit Jungle Boy with the kill switch, or people who better know it as the Unprettier, and we're... Back again, starting up the rivalry between Christian and Jungle Boy. The last time people saw uh, Christian, it was when Christian was the manager of Luchasaurus going into uh, his match with Jungle Boy at Full Gear in the Steel Cage. I believe that was the last time Christian was around in AEW, and that was around, what, November? So it's been December, January. About two and a half months since Christian hasn't been back on AEW television, and now since he's back, uh, we're going to to see... When are they going to have the match with Jungle Boy and Christian? I say probably Revolution to finally tie a bow on that rivalry and let Jungle Boy go off to do something else and let Christian do something else. But again, weeks to come if that match is going to be confirmed. Tonight on Dynamite, it was not. Now, after this, we'll have Heyman Page going against Kip Sabian with Penelope 4 in his corner. Heyman Page would win the match by pinfall by hitting the Deadeye for the win. And after the match, John Moxley with Liuta and Claudio Castagnoli will come down to the ring. Mox will get a mic and tell Hangman that he knows that Hangman feels that there is some unfinished business between the two of them. But Moxley doesn't think so because Mox has beaten Hangman twice now. And Mox will let Hangman know that there's no way in the world that Hangman is going to beat him again. So Moxley has declined Hangman's offer for a match. Hangman will let Mox know that he isn't happy with how their last match ended with it ending up with a roll-up. Hangman talks about wanting to have another match with Moxley, but this time there will only be one man left standing. Mox will say that he hoped Hangman was going to say something like this, and Mox would make note that Hangman must not have any friends to stop him from making this mistake, and this will lead to the Dark Order coming down to the ring. Evil Uno, John Silver, Alex Reynolds... And you can see Hangman is starting to get in Uno's face, telling him, I told you to stay in the back. Uno would move Hangman out of his way to get to Moxley. And Uno will let Mox know that he stayed, and the Dark Order stayed out of Hangman's business with Moxley because Hangman requested it. But now he has to let Moxley know that they are not afraid of Moxley. And you will see Uno just pie face Moxley. Now Moxley's starting to get uh, heated, and he would get head to head with Uno. But he does not punch him. He does not touch him. He just gets head to head with Uno, and then he will just look at Hangman, and tell Hangman that he has his match, but it's going to be a Texas Death Match. So it will become official at AEW Revolution. It will be Hangman Page versus John Moxley, and a Texas Death Match. And now the last time, if I remember correctly, a Texas Death Match in AEW you only can win that by knockout. So that means you have to keep your opponent down on the mat or down on the ground for. The count of 10 so they have their match at revolution now it's time for the main event triple threat match Britt baker with jamie Hayter in her corner going against tony storm who has soraya in her corner going against ruby soho who has nobody in her corner ruby soho would win the match by pinfall when tony storm would hit brit baker with a running hip attack and then look to hit storm zero but ruby would get in the ring throw tony out of the ring onto soraya and then Ruby would roll up Britt Baker for the win. Now, after the match, Soraya would get in uh, Ruby's face, and again, we ate off to the pie-facing again. Ruby would get pie-faced by Soraya, and Soraya would just yell and chastise uh, Ruby, saying that you're supposed to be with us. What are you doing? And then you see Jamie Hater get in the ring and start yelling at Ruby, and now you just see Ruby stuck in the middle between Jamie and Soraya. Ruby would say that she has enough of this, but then she looks at the AEW Women's World Championship and Jamie would see her do this and she would just lift up the World Championship. And in this situation right here, you know that Ruby Soho's whole identity is about becoming champion. That's her whole motive. Just like MJF said at the beginning of the show, "Uh, you get in this business to become world champion. Ruby's all about being world champion. Even though she's stuck in the middle between her Friends of Tony and Soraya and the love of AEW that Britt Baker and Jamie Hayter have and that they're standing up for AEW against Tony and Soraya who are basically quote unquote outsiders or people that came from another company to get into this company. Ruby is stuck in the middle. So it's going to be interesting again. We're starting to see how this plays out. We're starting to see how this goes. Nobody has turned from the AEW side to join Tony and Saraya yet. We all know what's gonna happen because it has to happen because they're outnumbered. Just mathematically wise, they're outnumbered. There's only two of them going against a whole locker room of women that represent and love AEW so much. There's gonna have to be another woman to side with them. And I again, we just don't know. People thinking it's gonna be Ruby. I don't think so. I could think it could probably be a AEW original, like a Chris Statlander turning on it and joining up with a Tony and a Soraya, I think it'll be perfect for someone like Chris Stanlander because Chris uh, whenever she's been in AEW, she's really had no type of oomph or character to her. I mean, she was the girl from outer space and then she uh, started doing her own thing. Then she got injured. She got injured technically twice. Now this third time when she comes back because she's supposed to be coming back Um, It's going to be interesting to see if she joins uh, Soraya and Tony. I hope that she does so then she can add some type of something to her. The same way this has added something to Tony because Tony came into AEW with a whole lot of fanfare, love, but then as the months go by, the people start turning on her, booing her, all this kind of crap. So now that she's with Soraya, it makes sense. So I hope the same thing goes with Chris Statlander, but that's just me going off on the sidebar here. Right now, the story is, Ruby Soho going after the World Championship, but she's still stuck in between siding with her friends or siding with her love for AEW, and in the weeks to follow, we will see which side Ruby Soho uh, holds up more, but with that, that is your AEW Dynamite Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now off to Impact Wrestling, just like NXT and just like AEW, Impact would open up with paying tribute to Jerry Jarrett. Now, after this, we get to the first match of the night. It'll be Chris Bay with Ace Austin in his corner going against Kushida, who had the Motor City Machine Guns in his corner. Kushida would win the match by pinfall by getting Chris Bay in an inside cradle for the win. Now, this is building up to Chris Bay and Ace Austin to go against the Motor City Machine Guns. First, you have them in a six-man tag match at No Surrender. It'll be Chris Bay, Ace Austin, and Kenta going against Kashida and the Motor City Machine Guns. More than likely, you'll see Chris Bay and Ace Austin get the win for that. And then they'll set up for an Impact World Tag Team title match of Bay and Austin going against Motor City Machine Guns somewhere down the line. Now, after this, we'll get to our qualifying match into the 40-4-way match at No Surrender. It'll be Steve Macklin going against Rhino here. Macklin would win the match by pinfall by hitting Rhino with Heath's finishing move. Uh, the wake up call for people that don't know Heath is Rhino's tag partner here. So this was basically adding insult to injury for Rhino because he got beat by his own uh, teammates finish. So Maglin will hit the wake up call on Rhino and pin him for the win. So Maglin has now got himself into that fatal four way match at no surrender. After this, we have Johnny Swinger with Zicky Dice in his corner going against Barry Horowitz. Right now, Johnny Swinger's on this whole. Crusade to try to get 50 wins because if he does get 50 wins, he will get an impact world championship match. But tonight would not be his night because Barry Horowitz would win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from WCW's own The Demon. When Johnny Swinger had Barry Horowitz in a neck position, The Demon would walk out on the stage and this would allow Barry to lock in the abdominal stretch on Johnny Swinger, then turn it into a cradle pin for the win. For people that don't know who Barry Horowitz is, Barry Horowitz is a wrestler or was a wrestler that was in the WWF in the early 90s, and he was a guy that just could not get a win. The same thing that Johnny Swinger is doing right now in Impact Wrestling. He just can't get a win, so it made a lot of sense for Barry Horowitz to be here to go against Johnny Swinger. And the Demon, well, he was just a WCW guy that came in like WCW was going on his downward out of business. So... This was just a nostalgia pop for basically to see Barry Horowitz and the Demon here. Now, after this, we get another qualifying match to determine who will be joining the other men in the Fatal Forward match at No Surrender. It's Eddie Edwards going against Heath. Heath would win the match by pinfall thanks to PCO playing mind games with Eddie Edwards. When Eddie was going to hit Heath with the Die Hard driver, the lights would flicker and sounds of thunder would play in the building. Eddie will look around for PCO, and this will allow Heath the opportunity to hit Eddie with the wake-up call for the win. Now, after the match, Heath will leave the ring and go up the ramp as Eddie looked at him. Once Heath got on the entrance stage, he will point at Eddie and tell him to turn around. Once Eddie did, PCO was standing behind him. PCO will swing on Eddie and hit him with a reverse DDT. PCO would go to the top turnbuckle... But Eddie Overs would roll out of the ring before PCO could do any more damage to him. So, all the spots for the Fatal Forward match at No Surrender have been filled. And in this match, it will be Brian Myers, Steve Macklin, Heath, and PCO. And the winner of this match will be the number one contender for the Impact World Championship. Now, after this, we will have Masha Slamovich going against Alicia. Mickey James, the knockout champion, would be on commentary to observe Masha Slamovich since they have a match with each other at No Surrender. Masha would win the match by pinfall by hitting Alicia with a snowplow for the win. Very quick, easy match for Masha here. Alicia, she doesn't be on impact that much, and if she does, it's usually just to get her butt beat, so that's what happened in this instance. Now, after the match, Masha will look at Mickey James before going back to to Alicia and locking in a rear naked choke on Alicia. Masha would hold onto that hold until Mickey would get in the ring and grab Masha by the hair to make her release the hold. Mickey would go over to Alicia to make sure she's okay before going at Masha. However, Masha would quickly lock in the rear naked choke on Mickey and the referees would come down to the ring to get Masha to let go of the hold. Now, on commentary, they would make note that the rear naked choke was the exact same Maneuver that Jordan Grace had on Mickey James in their match at the last impact, uh, special impact pay-per-view. And in that hold, when Mickey went against Jordan, people saw that Mickey tapped out, but the referee didn't see it. So people are thinking that Masha could use this hold to gain the up on Mickey in their upcoming match for the Knockout championship. And actually, she might do what Jordan Grace didn't do and make actually Mickey tap out in front of the referee. Only time will tell, as usual. Now, onto the main event, Kenny Kane going against Rich Swan. Rich Swan would win the match by pinfall when he was able to reverse out of the Royal Flush and get Kenny into a cradle pin for the win. That's kind of the maneuver for Impact Wrestling, at least on this episode. A lot of people got pinned off of a variation of the cradle pin. Now, after the match, Kenny would argue with the ref for a short amount of time before kicking Swan in the head. Kenny would punch Swan some more before leaving the ring to get a chair. Once Kenny got back in the ring and was looking to hit Swan with said chair, the Impact World Champion Josh Alexander would run down to the ring and grab the chair away from Kenny. Swan would turn around and look at Kenny and throw a super kick, but Kenny King would duck it and Rich Swan would hit Josh Alexander by mistake. Now Rich has an oh-no look on his face, Josh is holding his face, and Kenny King is just smiling away as he is caused basically having between two friends, Josh Alexander and Rich Juan, even though they have a match at No Surrender for the Impact World Championship between the two guys. It's just that Kenny King was actually able to cause some friction, some mayhem between these two guys on their way up to their match at No Surrender for the Impact World Championship. That's all Kenny wanted, so he was able to accomplish his mission here, but where does this leave Josh and Rich? Only time will tell, and We'll probably get an answer by next week's episode of Impact Wrestling. And also, on next week's episode of Impact, it will be a monster's ball for the Impact Division Championship as Trey Miguel will be going against Crazy Steve and Jonathan Gresham and Mike Bailey will be going against the Motor City Machine Guns. Now, with that, that is your Impact Wrestling wrestling highlights of the week. Now we're off to SmackDown. SmackDown was held in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, the same place where they'll be holding the Elimination Chamber. This is the final episode of SmackDown for the Elimination Chamber, which will be happening tonight. And the big thing of the night was waiting for Sami Zayn so we can hear what Sami Zayn would have to say going into his big title match with Roman Reigns, but we wouldn't hear until Sami until the end of the night. But to start the night off, we would have Natalya and Shotzi going against Shayna Baszler and Ronda Rousey. Ronda and Shayna would win the match by submission when Natalya and Shotzi would go for the heart attack, but Shayna Baszler would pull Natalya out of the ring. And this would allow Ronda to hit Shotzi with a monkey flip, then apply the arm bar on Shotzi for her to tap out. Now, after this match, they will show a video detailing the history between Sami Zayn and the blow line. Because, as I said earlier, they're building up for Sami Zayn to come out to address the people going into his match with Roman Reigns. Now, after the video would play, you will see the hit row in the ring and they will be freestyling. Top Dollar would mention in the freestyle that if anybody from the back would come out, they would get smacked. The lights would shut off after Top Dollar would say that exact line, and when the lights pop back on, you would see Bray Wyatt and Uncle Howdy standing on the opposite sides of the ring apron, staring at Hit Row. Bray and Uncle Howdy would take out both Top Dollar and Ashanti Diodonis. B-Fab would leave the ring. Bray would get a mic and let it be known that he is now under control of himself and that he got his family under control. So that's the reason why you see Uncle Howdy standing beside him. And by the way, side note, Uncle Howdy is Bo Dallas because the thing they gave it away was Uncle Howdy is wearing an earring that has a dangling earring that is a cross. Bo Dallas, before he left WWE, and even when he left WWE, in his photos that you will see of him, he'll be wearing a dangling cross earring. And that was the exact same cross-earring that Uncle Howdy's wearing, so that connected two and two. Uncle Howdy is Bo Dallas, so we're waiting for that to finally be revealed up, but I digress. Back to what happened on SmackDown, Bray will let it be known that whoever wins out of the match out of Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley at the Elimination Chamber, the winner should run. So Bray has his eyes locked in on Brock or Bobby Lashley. I don't think nobody had this on their bingo card of Bray going after Brock or Bobby. I didn't. I'm pretty sure nobody did. And you know what? I'm going to get to who should win this and what I think of it whenever uh, I give you my Elimination Chambers uh, predictions. Now, after this, we would get Drew McIntyre and Sheamus going against the Viking Raiders with Valhalla in their corner. Drew and Sheamus would win the match by a pinfall when the Vikings were looking to hit Ragnarok on Drew, but Sheamus would get in the ring and hit Ivar with the bro kick, then Drew would hit Eric with the Claymore kick for the win. Now, after this, you will see Asuka going against Liv Morgan, Asuka would win the match by submission, and all the other four ladies that's going to be a part of that women elimination chamber match, uh, Carmella, Nikki Cross, Natalia would be around the ring. And after the match, you will see Carmella get in the ring, hit Asuka in the face with a kick. Natalia will get in the ring and hit Carmella with the rolling clothesline. Nikki Cross will get in the ring and hit Natalia with a spinning neckbreaker. Raquel Rodriguez will get in the ring and hit Nikki with a Tejano bomb. And then you see Raquel Rodriguez walk over to Liv and help her to her feet. Now once Raquel and Liv are standing and they're looking at one another, they will look up and above them is the Elimination Chamber hanging above them since this is the exact same arena that they'll be hosting the Elimination Chamber tonight. Um, you will see them both talking. Liv will hit Raquel with a code breaker, then Oscar will get in the ring, hit Raquel with a heel kick to the head, and dropping Raquel. And the last two women standing would be Oscar and Liv Morgan. After this, we would have our Intercontinental Championship match of Gunther going against Madcap Moss, who has Emma in his corner. Gunther would retain his Intercontinental Championship by pinfall when Madcap Moss would run towards Gunther, and Gunther would lock in a sleeper hold on Moss. And once Moss was starting to fade away, Gunther would hit Moss with a powerbomb for the win. This was a solid match for Madcap. Everybody knew Madcap wasn't going to win this match. This was more of a, I'm not going to say prove yourself, but this was more of a, hey, look what Madcap can do whenever he has a uh, proficient wrestler going against him in a rank As someone like a Gunther and what you guys could expect from more from Madcap in the future when we put him more against proficient wrestlers like AJ Styles whenever that time will come around or even a Finn Balor if that time comes around. So this is more of a showcasing of Madcap Mops' abilities. Now it's time for the main piece of the show, the moment everybody was waiting for, Sami Zayn coming out to the ring. Once Sami's music would hit, the Montreal crowd would go insane. They would cheer for Sami. They would just constantly just be... Throwing their hands up in the air, cheering, cheering as Sammy walks down to the ring. Sammy would feel that energy and he would reciprocate it back to the people. Now once Sammy has a mic in his hands, he will stand in the middle of the ring as the people would chant Ole over and over again to Sammy. They would chant, you deserve it to Sammy. And you could just see Sammy just embracing it all in and just soaking it all in and even has a tear coming down his face because this is the type of ovation that you would want to get Especially since you're going into a big match of your career, and especially since you're literally one of the hottest acts of the entire wrestling industry right now, like Sammy is with Roman Reigns. And this is a match that he's going to be having with Roman that everybody is definitely going to be paying attention to. Um, and also, the people would be chanting F E Roman, but they would censor that over uh, live broadcast. But Sammy would eventually get to speak. Sammy first would speak French to appease his people. But Sammy would then transition over to speaking English. He would say that every year around this time, the company will have people believe that WrestleMania is the biggest show of the year. Sammy would say, which it is, but for him, a Illuminati Chamber tomorrow night will be once in a lifetime. He would say that Roman isn't just going against Sami Zayn, he is going against Sami Zayn and the whole city of Montreal. Sammy would finish by saying Roman Reigns is going down. So, you can tell where Sammy's mission statement is. He wants to take Roman Reigns down. He wants to take the championships away from him at the Elimination Chamber. Will he get the job done? Only time will tell. And only one way to know is if you go and watch the Peacock Elimination Chamber event tonight. Now, that's your SmackDown Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now off to AEW Rampage. AEW Rampage will open up with a trios championship matchup of Top Flight and AR Fox going against the elite Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. The Elite would win the match by pinfall. McKinney Omega will hit the one-winged angel on Darius Martin for the win. Again, solid match between all six of these guys. You know what they do when they go against each other. And it is what it is. The Elite was going to win this. This wasn't like their first uh, match where you thought, okay, for a brief second, A.R. Fox and Top 5 was going to beat the Elite. You knew this wasn't going to happen here. But again, solid match between all six gentlemen. Now, after the match, the Elite was celebrating in the ring, and then the lights will go out. And when the lights pop back on, you will see Malachi Black and Brody King standing on the entrance ramp, staring at the Elite. So now we're about to get a House of Black going against the Elite situation going on. But I have a question going on here. Eddie Kingston is supposed to be doing something with House of Black. So are we just? sidelining Eddie Kingston for now with House of Black, allowing House of Black to do something with the Elite since the Elite have nothing going on going into Revolution for the Trios Championships, or is this going to be a long-standing uh, standing thing between the Elite and House of Black? I don't know. They just did this on Rampage. I wish they would have did this on Dynamite, but hey, it is what it is. You got to have something for Rampage to grab people to make them want to see Rampage every week. So I see why they did this, but hopefully they'll get to build this up and you get to see more of this story going into Dynamite and Rampage hopefully next week. After this, you have Ricky Starks going against Daniel Garcia. Ricky Starks would win the match by pinfall by first hitting the spear, then following up with the Rochambeau on Daniel Garcia for the win. Now after the match, Sammy Guevara will come out and get a microphone and tell Tony Khan that he doesn't ask for much in this place, but he's asking for one thing. He wants a match with Action Andretti because Action Andretti came out to help Ricky Starks when Sammy Guevara interfered in this matchup here. So that's why Sammy wants a match with Action Andretti, and it would be announced that that match will happen, and it will happen next week on Dynamite. After this, we'll go to the TBS Championship match. Jade Cargill with Leila Gray in her corner going against Vict Vixen. Jade would win the match by pinfall by hitting Jaded for the win, now Jade is fifty three zero, and she's still TBS champion. She's held that belt for a year and a month now. I don't know who's taking the title off of her. I just don't know who it is yet. It could be somebody like a Soraya, or uh, I don't know who. I'm like Jade is practically beating everybody on the roster that has come against her. I just don't know who they would uh do, like do the honors for. To beat jade it just it hasn't popped to me yet hopefully one day it will but right now it just hasn't gotten there yet now it's time for the main event swerve strickland with parker Boudreaux in his corner going against dustin rhodes dustin would win the match by disqualification when dustin will hit swerve with the crossroads then a spinning suplex dustin would go for the pin and parker will pull dustin out of the ring the ref will see parker throw dustin into the steel steps making the referee call for the bell, giving Dustin the win. After the match, Parker Boudreaux and Swerve would continue to beat down on Dustin until security would come down to try to help Dustin out, but they would quickly get eliminated by Parker Boudreaux. Parker Boudreaux is the big muscle for Swerve, so that's what he's here to do. Swerve would tell Parker to get something from underneath the ring, and it would be a cement block. Swerve would put Dustin's head on the block, and as Swerve climbs the top turnbuckle, Keith Lee's music would play. Now, Swerve and Parker would look at the entrance ramp, waiting for Keith Lee to appear. But what they don't know is that Keef would appear behind them. And I got to say, Keith Lee looks older. He cut his hair down. He's not dying. He's letting the gray show. He has no beard on his face. I mean, my man looks like a legitimate, older, like, grandpa-style face. But again, that's the style that Keith Lee wants to go with here. So, Keef Lee would dominate both men, making them retreat up the ramp. Keith Lee would help Dustin get to his feet, and that's how Rampage ends. So Keith Lee's back. We haven't seen him since he got uh, Swerve stomped with the cinder block on his chest by Swerve and Trench and uh, Parker Boudreaux a couple months ago. So it's good to have Keith Lee back here, and I can see that we're going to get a Keith Lee going against Swerve-Strickland match at Revolution. That's what we're building to, and I'm just waiting for the announcement to happen, but I have a feeling that's going to happen at Revolution here. Now, that being said, that is your AEW Rampage Wrestling Highlights of the week. Now, since Elimination Chamber is coming on tonight, it's best for me to give you guys my elimination predictions, and here we go. For the United States Championship Elimination Chamber match, we have Austin Theory going against Seth Rollins, Johnny Gargano, Bronson Reed, Damian Priest, and Montez Ford. I have a feeling Austin Theory is going to retain his championship, and I say that he needs to do it by defeating Seth Rollins, with help from Logan Paul. And the reason why I say Logan Paul is that Seth Rollins is... It seems that WWE is building up to Seth Rollins going against Logan Paul at WrestleMania. It seems that way because Seth has been on a constant like media tour talking about Logan Paul, and I'm not certain if they got to a media social media joust on Twitter or anything, but I can see that happening. And it just seems that they're building to Logan and Seth. So I'll propose this. Logan Paul... Screwing over Seth Rollins at the Elimination Chamber. Somehow he gets his way in there. Either he pops his way from underneath the ring, inside the chamber, the same way Shawn Michaels did whenever he was trying to go against The Undertaker uh, at WrestleMania. What was it? God, 26. Building up to that. I say Logan Paul get that way, or Logan Paul somehow runs his way down to the ring, like hits one of the referees in the face, take the key from him, unlock it, get in there, piece up Logan Paul a little bit, and helps Theory out. That's the way I see Austin Theory winning it. That's the way I want him to win it. So we can have an easy way for Logan Paul. Going to Seth at Wrestlemania. And still have Austin Theory by the skin of his teeth. Retain his United States Championship. But if that doesn't happen. I still say Austin Theory is retaining his championship. Now the women elimination chamber match. Uh, Oscar, Liv Morgan, Natalia, Nikki Cross, Raquel Rodriguez and Carmella. I want to be honest with you. I can see we having uh, Raquel Rodriguez going against Bianca Belair. I honestly can see it because you can say for the past, what, year? Since last from WrestleMania to this year, they have been putting some type of rocket on Raquel Rodriguez and showcasing her on SmackDown whenever they want to do it. And I'm not going to say it's a Liv Morgan effect. I would like to say that they actually be like, okay, we're giving you guys a glimpse into the future of someone that we want To be a champion for us on the main roster here. And I see that Raquel is going to be that person. I'm not certain if they're going to do that at Elimination Chamber whenever she wins or if she wins. But for me, I say that we're going to give it to Raquel. And people might be asking, why not Asuka? Asuka seems like the most obvious choice. I say not Asuka because we haven't seen Asuka being built as a legitimate monster and a threat. The way that she should have been whenever she came back from the Royal Rumble. Literally coming back. From the Rumble every week on Raw to just kicking Fools' heads in every single week. People might say that you could do that now since she was going to win the Elimination Chamber. I say, eh, not for me. Let her do that after Mania whenever she, uh, let her get the first crack at the new champion. Let her be that monster champion, monster, uh, person that the champion has to face after Mania. That's my suggestion, but if they go to Asuka, I wouldn't be mad at it either, because then they could build her to be an incredible, legitimate monster threat for Bianca at WrestleMania. So, for me, Raquel, but I wouldn't be mad if they do Asuka. Anybody else, I'll be disappointed in, to be honest. Edge and Beth Phoenix going against the Judgment Day's Finn Balor and Rhea Ripley. Uh, Edge and Beth Phoenix. I have them winning against Finn and Rhea. I see Charlotte's going to come out there and play a Part in this match of a distraction for Rhea Ripley, and I see more than likely probably Ray Mysterio coming out there to mess around with Dominic because I have a feeling that we're gonna get Ray versus Dom at WrestleMania, and they've been building towards that literally for months now. And SmackDown kind of like signified it because on SmackDown, Kerry Cross went at Ray Mysterio and told him that he wanted to be a father one day, but since he's seen what basically Dom Myster- Dom has been doing to Ray and treating Ray with so much disrespect. Karrion kind of nicks that idea, and he's telling Ray, yo, you got to go out there and do something about that. So I can see after months of people constantly crapping on Ray for not handling Dom, I see Ray going out there and actually beating up on Dom at this event here to set up their match at WrestleMania. So Edge and Beth going against uh, Finn and Rhea, Edge and Beth. Now, Bobby versus Brock, that is a mystery right here. I'm going to say I want Bobby to beat Brock Lesnar. And that's what I'm going with. I'm going with Bobby to beat Brock Lesnar with help from Bray Wyatt. I know Bray said that whoever wins the match should run. I'm just going to go with this. Bobby should beat Brock Lesnar with Bray's help. Because we could tie this thing full circle. Bray had a confrontation with the Undertaker in the ring. And Undertaker said something to Bray at Raw 30. When they had that little moment. Bray had his match with LA Knight. He got reunited with Uncle Howdy. And now Bray and Uncle Howdy are together. And Bray even said that he got his family together on SmackDown. Bray could help Bobby beat Brock Lesnar. And then that gets set up for Bray to go against Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. And this could be Brock's way of. Helping a newer talent. And I'm not saying Bray is a newer talent because Bray has been there what, I'm not going to say a decade yet. He's been there almost for a decade. He got onto the main roster, what, 2014? He got on the main roster. So almost a decade. But Bray has had so many constant stops and starts. But now with Triple H at the helm of it, I see that Bray needs that one big win to catapult him to where he needs to be. And I say him beating Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania to kind of redeem the Undertaker's and Undertaker kind of pass a baton to him at WrestleMania 30. And that could be a new way for Bray to be that new sinister uh evil guy of darkness. That'd be a great way for Brock to pass that baton and do justice the same way that Undertaker did justice for Brock whenever Brock beat Undertaker at WrestleMania 30. So I have Bobby winning with help from Bray Wyatt. Now, the big championship match for the Undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns going against Sami Zayn. We all know Roman's winning this. We just know there's going to be a masterpiece, storytelling match between Roman and Sami. I don't think they're going to pull the trigger on Sami doing that. I think they want to go with the monster nuclear, just radioactive, just booing out of the whole entire arena situation of Roman just brutalizing Sami Zayn. I mean, Sami's going to put up a good fight, but I just see Roman towards the end of the match. I mean, just tearing Sami up to the point that Kevin Owens, a man that we haven't seen since Royal Rumble, comes back and makes a save and helps Sami Zayn. And you see Roman Reigns retreating. You see Sola Sokoa retreating. And then you end off with Elimination Chamber of Sami and Kevin Owens standing in the middle of the ring Getting that hero's welcome, they both hug it out, and now you see Sammy and Kevin back to being together reconnecting. That's the way I see Elimination Chamber ending, but again, time could tell. Time's only going to tell. At Elimination Chamber, we're going to have to see, but those are my predictions for who's going to win what at Elimination Chamber. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I want to put a spotlight on two black wrestlers in the professional wrestling world in in my personal opinion, I have not did females yet. So, I'm going to do two here. I'm going to do Naomi, and I'm going to do Sasha Banks, or better known as now, aka Mercedes Monet. Now, the reason why I paid these two is because they have basically put a big impact on the females wrestling division ever since they basically walked out of WWE last year. I mean, it put a big wrinkle in everybody's like situation. Last year, Sasha and uh, Naomi, they were the tag team champions. They won it at WrestleMania. Everybody was so happy for them to win the women's tag team titles at Mania. And then months later, you happen to hear about them leaving the show, Monday Night Raw. I mean, it even got to the point that the commentators straight up told the fans at home the situation of Naomi and Sasha Banks. They walked out of the venue. They left the titles there, blah, blah, blah. And everybody was trying to figure out, is this a work is this real? Is this what's what's going on here? And then as weeks will come out, months will come out, you, even to this point, you still haven't had Naomi on the show. We now know that Sasha's gone from WWE. She's now with New Japan. As a matter of fact, tonight, she's supposed to be going against Kairi for the New Japan Women's Championship at their event in uh, San Jose or San Diego in California. And I believe that she's going to win that and she's going to be a black champion, the first ever New Japan, like female black champion over there. And that's going to be great for Mercedes Monet for her to do that. But the reason why I'm putting the spotlight on these two, because, again, as I said, they put a big like shine on women's wrestling. Personally, Naomi, she came in during NXT, whenever NXT was literally a joke of a situation, whenever they do but competition, she came in during their third season of an all-female group. Her mentor was Kelly Kelly. She came in second place to Caitlyn. And then after that, you would see her come back as a Funkodactyl, or better known as a cheerleader, with uh, her dance partner, Cameron. And they were managing Brodus Clay. Again, they were the Funkodactyls. They did their thing. They were supposed to have a match against the Bellas and Cody and Damien Sander at WrestleMania 29. That got canceled. And then they have that match later next night on Monday Night Raw. Time goes on. People will still try to wonder, okay, when are they going to break away from uh, Brodus? They do that. Naomi and Cameron do their own thing. And everybody was wondering, okay, when's Naomi going to be able to do her own thing? Because we see something in Naomi. The fans started to see something in Naomi. So they did that. She does her own thing. Years go by later. She ends up forming a group. Team Bad is her. Sasha Banks and Tamina and at that point I thought okay we're gonna get Naomi be the focal point of team bad as Tamina and Sasha gonna try to be like the backups for Naomi because Naomi deserved that spot and deserved that shine that didn't happen they were only a group for some time and then they broke off and then Naomi goes over to SmackDown she ends up winning the SmackDown Women's Championship later on but then she has to forfeit it because during the match where she won the championship she suffered an injury so she had to relinquish the title then she gets her star making moment at wrestlemania 33 when she won the smackdown women's championship back in a six-pack challenge and she wins the championship then guess what she ends up customizing the title she puts lights all over it she ends up holding it and i mean that championship was actually beautiful for her and for that that was a marketing tool that WWE dropped the ball on that but she ends up losing the title and ending her 140 day reign and then she was stuck in various different storylines she ends up winning the inaugural uh wrestlemania woman's battle royal i mean naomi has done a lot in wwe but she was always a fan favorite every time she will leave and then she comes back she always get a big pop from the crowd everybody will always be happy to see naomi um There's always that WrestleMania moment. Not WrestleMania moment, that Royal Rumble moment where she is coming back. She comes back with her hair out in an afro. And I mean, the fans are going crazy because everybody loves Naomi. Naomi is like Kofi Kingston for the women's division. She can do everything. She's a high flyer. She's been there for a long time. People just love Naomi. So whenever she got her time, it was great. Now transitioning over to Sasha Banks, she comes in to NXT People don't know her that well, but she ends up cultivating this big uh, fan base for herself down there in NXT. She ends up having these matches, and she becomes a standout, especially the stars making match between her and Bailey. They have that one at Brooklyn, and then that one uh, later at NXT Rival, where not Rival, God, it was a uh, Respect. It was her going against Bailey in the main event in the first ever female thirty-minute Iron Man match. And she just blows it out the park. And then she goes up to the main roster. She has her moment with Team Bad, And then that breaks apart. Then she ends up going to WrestleMania. She has a triple threat match of her, Charlotte, and Becky Lynch for the Raw Women's Championship. Then that goes down. And then she has this rivalry with her and Charlotte throughout the summer. And they had some of the greatest matches of Raw history, of Raw Women's history, on Monday Night Raw for free television. I believe they had a match. I believe in Charlotte. It was her going against Charlotte for the Raw Women's Championship. I believe it was a false count anywhere, and it's that moment where you see her lock in the bank statement on Charlotte Flair, in like the in between of the stairs, like guardrails. You have Charlotte in between and you see uh, Sasha just yanking back on Charlotte, and it's a incredible visual, and you just see Charlotte tapping out and. She, uh, Sasha is just loving it. But WWE did her dirty on the main roster because every time she would win the title, she never could hold it on to that mess for a long period of time. She would always like drop it within a couple weeks or within the next month. She was never ever actually able to hold on to a championship long enough. So I feel that they did her dirty big time on the main roster when it came down to holding championship gold. But what they did do right was have her and Bailey be the first ever WWE Women's Tag Team Champions whenever they won those at the Elimination Chamber whenever they brought them up. So you see that happen. You see that they still have faith in Sasha. And then you get Sasha having this star-making moment of her and Bianca Belair at WrestleMania. Sasha did the honors for Bianca to let everybody see Bianca as the incredible star that Bianca is. And they were the first ever Black women to main event wrestlemania that is a incredible stat alone for sasha to have and then what happens years later she ends up teaming up with naomi they win the tag team titles at wrestlemania and for her to now be in the spot where she is she has done it all in wwe she is a woman's grand slam champion and she's a triple crown champion in wwe i mean She's done it all in WWE, so what was left for her to do? After her and Naomi you feel disrespected, they just left. They end up doing things of uh, fashion. They become uh, runway models in certain uh, fashion uh, shows. You saw them do sponsors. I believe Naomi was doing like an advertisement for Thor, Thor, Ragnarok, whenever that was coming out. And she was still under contract, but both of them were still under contract at these times. and WWE was allowing them to do this, and I'm not going to say allow, but they didn't take them to court is what I mean. WWE or somebody in WWE had full faith that they could easily talk to Naomi and Sasha after they let everything cool down, after everybody's emotions got uh, centered, but it just never happened. Sasha's contract expired, and now she's off to New Japan doing big things over there. She's going to be wrestling for the IWGP Women's Championship against Kyrie, as I said tonight. And now you have Naomi, who's still, well, we don't know. But you just know that Naomi is with uh, Sasha or Mercedes anywhere that she goes. I'm not going to say anywhere she goes as in that, but I mean, like, you're going to see them somewhere. Naomi's always going to be supporting Mercedes. She was at Wrestle Kingdom. With Mercedes, not in person, but backstage, because there's a photo of Bailey being there, Naomi being there with Mercedes and FTR as they took a photo together. I mean, that's just a sisterhood of Naomi and Mercedes or Sasha, as you know, her. that is incredible that you should want to see in any profession. The sisterhood that Naomi and Sasha have, it's incredible. And I hope that that thing continues on. I'm not certain if Naomi's going to be back in WWE, but if she does not, I would like for her to still be around somewhere in some condition, some capacity because she is loved by the wrestling fans in general. Anywhere that she pops up, people are going to love her because she is too lovable. She is a lovely person. So for her to just disappear off the wrestling uh, bubble is going to be a big loss for wrestling, but hey, it's all about her uh, mental health and physical health, so if she wants to step away and be away from it, that's good. But the impact that Naomi and Sasha have on the wrestling uh situation, the wrestling community, it is a it would be detrimental to say that they're not important. They're incredibly important. They're extremely important to what women wrestling has been able to do now. So that's the reason I want to put a spotlight on Sasha Banks or Mercedes Monet and Naomi, because they have earned it. They deserve it. And I just want them to continue to do well in their profession or anything that they decide to do. So that was my spotlight on African-American wrestlers uh, for the week. Now, with that being said, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I know this was a longer episode. I didn't expect it to be this long, but hey, things happen, right? I hope you guys have a good day. I hope you guys check out Elimination Chamber. If you do not, I hope you guys check out my Sunday episode because one, I'll be having two Sunday episodes. The usual Sunday episode where I talk about the news topics that happen throughout the week. And also, I'll be giving you guys the Elimination Chamber review. So I hope you guys check those episodes out. Um, with that all being said, I love you all. I thank you. This is not goodbye. This is until you here for the sweet sounding voice again. This has been Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. He is I and I am him. I love you all. I thank you. Have a blessed Saturday. And with that all being said, Kanye, could you please take these people home. I'm tired, you tired, uh-huh. Jesus wept.